0: Somebody help me say thank you to the worship team and our hospitality crew, frontline people. And thank you so much for our to our prayer team who just faithfully prepare to serve you. And they, they come ready, they pray ready, and then they pour their hearts out every week. And I'm so thankful for that. So as folks are still kind of wandering in from the cafe and everywhere else that they're wandering in from, uh, why don't we open our Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 6. Okay, listen. I've got to just tell you. Here is the honest truth. Is my my mic is on? Uh, listen, the eight thirty uh, on Sunday and Saturday night have just buried you in there in terms of their enthusiasm. You uh, you 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 just you've got to just drink more coffee before ten a.m. So, so, Revelation chapter six. Woo. Okay. All right. Listen, I didn't write it, so you're gonna have to talk to the author if you don't like the book. All right. Uh, why are we in this text? This is uh, what I want to draw our, our attention to afresh again is the subtitle, Living with a View of Eternity. Would y'all just say a view of eternity? Amen. Living with a view of eternity is uh if I say it is really important. That's just a that sentence is so simple to say, but the significance of it just seems to just pass. It is a, it, I, I could say things like, it's absolutely essential. It's fundamentally crucial. I could throw all kinds of words on there, but let me just press it again. It is vital that you and I consistently live with the view of eternity. If we, if we do not, then we end up uh, uh, succumbing to the gravity of the mundane to the gravity of what we learned in uh, traffic safety education back in the day, called, we called it highway hypnosis. And that is just staying on the same road long enough to where you become like you're hypnotized. You become numb to the road around you. And if we, if, if we give up or neglect that view of eternity, then our lives become the size of the temporary. But living with a view of eternity keeps potholes and molehills their proper size. Potholes and molehills should not eclipse our hope and our peace. We should not run out of enthusiasm and fervency and zeal for the Lord because of the grind. But when the grind becomes the view, then all... Our fuel tank becomes fumes. So I urge us again to lift your eyes. Somebody say that with me. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. Keep a view of eternity. And I know don't listen to that silly sayings. Oh, that person is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. That's from the devil and it's not in the bible at all. You know, don't say well like the bible says. Well, don't say things like that unless you know the bible says it. What the bible actually says is keep your eyes fixed on in in, in heaven where Christ is. We are supposed to be we are people who are stamped with and living for eternity and we have to keep that in view. So this morning we go to chapter 6 and we're going to see some just some incredible things here in Revelation 6. Uh, it, is, it continues from chapters 4 and 5. We are in the throne room. John has been brought to the throne room, and he has seen these incredible visions of, of the one on the throne and now of the Lamb Who is absolutely worthy. And when we last left John, he is hearing this chorus from the entire cosmos crying out that the Lamb is worthy to open the scrolls, to open the seals, to break the seals and open the scrolls because he was slain and he has redeemed, he has redeemed for God peoples from every nation, tribe, and tongue on earth. Amen would go there anywhere. If I were you, I'd be saying amen louder. Uh, What we are about to see, friends, keep this in your hearts and minds, what we are about to see is not up for a vote. It is not dependent upon any human or nation. What we are about to see has been written and established and is released singularly by the authority of the one who is worthy. And with all of Scripture, this is true, and particularly poignant for us to keep in mind that what we are about to read and continue to study in Revelation is not something that we should ask, how does this fit into my life? It's so precious that we think that. Right? How does this fit? I mean, my life is clearly the idol of all things significant, and so I need to take this which was written before me and will last after me and speaks to things much larger than my life and demand that it be accommodated into the compartmentalization of my modalistic therapeutic deism. (laughs) The question is not how does this fit into my life, but how can my life be submitted to and consecrated to and matter amongst all of this? How can I respond to this? So we are in chapter 6. The Lamb opens the seals. All right. Seal number one. We're going to give each seal a name, and maybe it'll help you. Maybe it won't, but here we are. Uh, we're going to give you the seal. The first seal, I, fir- I first called it conquest, but I changed it to aggression. Did you change it to aggression, sis? Good job. Okay. So the first seal is aggression. If someone say aggression. Uh, Chapter six, verses one and two. I watched as the lamb opened the first seat of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four creatures say in a voice like thunder, come, and I looked and there was before me a white horse and its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. And that's that as a conqueror bent on conquest, this is the idea of aggression, to stir up hostility, and aggression. To to stir this up in in a way that cannot or will not be resisted, conquest. Um, uh, The image of an equestrian archer would have been familiar to uh, John's audience, and the idea that that person was a conqueror would have been familiar in sort of a, well, at least in, in an historically intimidating way. The Parthians were people who were uh, uh, Equestrians—they were—they ho- were skilled on horse, and they were archers. Have you ever seen? And you probably even—you probably have seen it, but even forgot that you've seen it. It's a relatively common historic painting, sculpture, image. Uh, you've seen uh, someone on horseback turned around with a bow and arrow shooting. Maybe you, that strikes kind of a memory. You've seen that somewhere. That's a Parthian. That is, so, that is an ancient depiction of the Parthians. They were known not only for their skill on a horse with bow and arrow, but, they, but for, for, uh, for being able to shoot backwards from the horse. It's called a Parthian shot. They use, They talk about it in rhetoric and debate. But, so this was, this was relatively famous and known to John's audience, and these people were known as powerful conquerors. And this rider is given a crown. Under the direction, uh, the delegation of the lamb, this rider is allowed to go out and stir up, political and military aggression and oppression and war to instigate and perpetuate war in a spirit of conquest and aggression. Then the second seal we'll call violence, Verses 3 and 4. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and then, an, and then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Now we have a fiery red horse with a rider, someone given a sword, which almost always depicts some idea of judgment in Revelation. And he is, and the power he is given is to remove peace. This is the judgment. To remove peace, he is granted authority to take peace from the earth so that, someone say so that, so that men would slay, this is the language here, slay, butcher, kill one another brutally. This is a spirit of violence. The first seal is a spirit of aggression, then a spirit of violence. Listen to the third one now. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales, like measuring weight scales, in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. Do not touch the oil and the wine. So the third living creature and the third seal is broken. We have a black horse with weights and measures. And what is the announcement that we hear means that now a whole day's wages would be required to feed one person. So with this, we have lack. This seal indicates lack. There is famine. Somebody say famine because we're going to hear it later. Say it again. We're going to hear that later. Inflation, don't make jokes. I know this church, okay? Inflation, I know inflation is no joke, but I know what you're about to say, so don't say it, just know that I know what you know, that I know what you're saying, okay? <laughs> that I said it to myself privately. But inflation, lack, and scarcity, and yet there is not total starvation. And then, not only is there, is there lack and scarcity, but there is disparity, this is the even yuckier part. So the wheat and the barley are affected, but not the wine and the oil. So the wheat and the barley would be the common crop, but the oil and wine would be the, 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 that of the, of, the up, of the more upper echelon. So there is aggression, there is violence, and now there is lack and even disparity. This is all about, this is all conflict. Then we have the fourth seal which is death. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given they were given power over a fourth. Someone say a fourth. A fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So, this is a pale horse or a palish green, death colored horse, and the rider is named Death, and he's followed by Hell. So, this is physical and spiritual death, and this rider is given authority to kill a fourth of the earth. Now, what does that mean, a fourth of the earth? It means not all of the earth. That's what that means. That means this is going to be a consistent pattern as we see Revelation unfold. And let me try to say it now, and I'm sure I'll say it again. But here is something I hope that we can, that we can feel that I believe is true. We, this is the point, a point in Revelation. Eternity is real. Say that out loud with me. Eternity is real. And is trying to get our attention. So, the power of the age to come in eternity. On one hand, we have, as we see, I think perhaps emphasized in Revelation because of its point, that there is measured judgment now. Yes. Measured. Someone say measured. Measured. It's, measured. it's not complete. We never see to this. Never yet see complete total. Judgment devastated everything. It's always measured. It's always curbed. It's always just so much. And the intent is always to bring those affected by that measured judgment into repentance. Always. So be, 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 up to a certain point, did you hear that with me? Up to a certain point in redemptive history, there is measured judgment, limited, fixed Measured judgment that is limited, that is intended to to have an effect upon the hearts of those who experience it, that they would respond to God in repentance. And, but, there will come a point when that measured judgment will become complete. Now, the good news is, that's, that's not actually horrible news, but, The good news is, simultaneously, concurrently, somebody get your tambourines out, okay? The power of the age to come, heaven, the goodness of God, the grace of God, is also breaking in and trying to get our attention. And so this is what Hebrews 2 calls signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Spirit that God himself is testifying to our great salvation. All of the inbreaking and the outworking of the Spirit, every grace of God that we experience is intended to woo our hearts back unto trusting obedience to Jesus. All that we experience is drawing our attention toward heaven, either to respond in repentance or in obedience. And it's all measured because there also will come a day when our experience of the presence and grace and goodness of God will be without measure. We will will be known even as we are fully known and we will behold him face to face. But until then, both of those dynamics are experienced in measure. Okay, so that is what's happening here. This fourth seal so far is a culmination of these seals. Sword, famine, pestilence, wild beasts of the earth. What's happening? John is seeing images of these different colored horses. And whenever possible, we need to try to look back and consult the Old Testament to understand what John is saying. Because if we can put ourselves in John's place, John is seeing these visions and he is processing, processing, He's throwing an extra syllable in there, okay? He is processing them through his frame of reference, which is an Old Testament mindset. The stuff that he's read, the stuff that he knows, he is seeing there, filtering, filtering them through that and then relaying them to his audience. So you and I need to try to step into the Old Testament and say, what's he talking about horses? In Zechariah chapters one and six, the prophet Zechariah sees prophetic visions of riders on these same Colored horses, And Zechariah is told that these are the four spirits of heaven that patrol the earth. So John, and for his audience in Revelation, these horse and riders are messengers of judgment upon mankind's arrogance and rebellion and ungodliness. And these judgments are meant to confront mankind in order to bring them to repentance. Listen to this. We have, and we're reading this. What we see is that these seals are open, they are loosed after and a result of the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Because the Lamb was slain, He's now worthy to open these. What do you mean these are these seals are opened after the cross? What? Here's the deal, the the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of redemptive history pivots on that. Everything changed on the cross. The grace of God was poured out through Christ on the cross in ways that you and I still are trying to imagine, still are trying to understand, and we will never see until the other side of eternity and even then it'll be a beautiful mystery to understand. The grace of God has been poured out. What happened on the cross affected everything. In yes, in tidy theological terms we understand justification and reconciliation and all kind of all the sessions, but also, in a, in a way that is mysterious, we can look back in history and say, everything changed. Science changed. Medicine changed. Art changed. Every society, anthropology, everything changed. The, the grace of God came upon the earth, and, and it was like a brand. It was like we were all born again. But not, not in the theological redemptive sense, but there was a, a new thing began. On the earth. But at the same time, according to this, man's sin, like the wheat and the tares, man's sin is also loosed upon himself in ever increasing ways. Man's sin is loosed upon him in order to prompt him to abandon that sin. This is why the apostles' preaching consistently urged their hearers to consider and to remember the judgment to come. Even our first apostolic sermon from Peter closes. It doesn't just close with with repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. After that, his final urging is save yourselves from this perverse generation. two things at once so the seals are loosed and they are loosed yes they're they're in sequence but they are really they are really a culmination they are a, a crescendo listen to how they crescendo aggression and conquest war and violence lack and disparity and then death these are not or should not be understood as historical stages They are the consequences of man's sin working in judgment against him. They remain, they were in John's day, they remain and they increase upon the earth. But they are not allowed without restraint. They are allowed only to bring mankind to repentance. But there is more. There's a fifth seal. Now, this is another pattern that we see in Revelation where John, it's almost like, I, I, I can't say for sure, but it's like this. John is looking here and looking here and he goes like this back and forth. So it's important that we let John turn his head back and forth, okay? So he's, these four seals are opening and he's seeing these things that are happening. The four living creatures would speak to creation. So he's seeing things that are happening on creation, on earth, but then he turns and the fifth seal, we, it's almost like this. Meanwhile, still in heaven, Okay, so in the the fifth seal is the seal of the martyrs. Okay, the martyrs. So we have we have met the, the 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 you know judgment and and sin and aggression on the world at the same time martyrs. Verse nine. Then I, then he opened the fifth seal and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Here. We hear that there is an outcry in heaven because of the conditions on earth. There is an outcry. There's, they are not unaware, they're not disconnected, there's they are not so it's not such a transcendent situation that there's no relation between. No, on the contrary, there is an outcry in heaven because of the conditions on earth. In verse 10, the outcry is this: they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord? holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Note, this reinforces the idea that what has been happening is not yet the final judgment. Then verse 11, then each of them was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Again, at the same time as mankind is functioning in rebellion and arrogance, believers all over the world are being persecuted and they're being martyred and these saints are described as souls beneath an altar, like in the Old Testament. With the, 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 the blood of the sacrifice would pool beneath the altar. And here's this picture, that those whose lives are being given or taken from them by, for the sake of the gospel, that their lives aren't, they don't disappear. Their lives, their voices are recorded. Their lives continue to speak. Their voices, not only are their voices heard and recorded, their lives are rewarded. They are given a white robe and they are told this, wait, wait, wait. Their blood, their sacrifice matters. Their life matters. It is not wasted. It is building pressure. Can I help us feel this today their lives he's the, the, the Lord says to them, your lives, everything you've gone through it's building pressure it's building pressure now you and I cannot completely connect necessarily with perhaps uh, what we are reading about here, especially the first century readers, not completely it's unlike it's very unlikely that on the way to church today you you were threatened with death because you were coming to church it's Less likely that you will be so on the way home, and for some of you, were you to be threatened, it would not work out well for the threatener. I, America, pew pew pew. Okay. In many ways, there's just it's just not the same, but the principle—if we can let the principle encourage us. That though you may not face death, you you and I do encounter the contrary current against us in a culture of perversion and shame and rebellion that is constantly pushing against you in subtle ways, in seductive ways, and in harsh ways. You live in a world that is against, that is that is in rebellion against because it's under the spirit, the, the spirit of the principality of the air is against you. And you live in this contention. And it can be tempting sometimes to wonder if it matters. Yes. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? When you, from, from disappointment to outright heartache to setbacks to pressure. Here's the deal. Every ounce of energy that you spend in serving Jesus is worth it. Every, and here's the, here's the Mufasa part. Every ounce of energy that you spend is building pressure. The pressure is building your life. The pressure, ee, the pressure of your life as an offering to the Lamb is being added and added and added to the lives who have been given as an offering to the Lamb. And it's adding pressure and there will come a time when it's gonna pop. Ultimately, it will come to an end when the next seal is opened. The sixth seal is wrath. Verse 12, I watched as he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. You may want to, if you have a paper Bible like me and Jesus. <laughs> you may want to circle earthquake because every time in Revelation that there is an earthquake, it means that it is, a, it is a culminative, significant event. Shikaba. There was a great earthquake. Oh. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. Very specific. The whole moon turned blood red, like blood that is red. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is serious. This is the wrong time for me to indulge. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop. This is very specific. As figs drop from a fig tree. Now we know figs have to do with revelation and timing and all that kind of stuff. As figs that drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded. What? The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is it. This is a total cataclysmic event. This is his wrath. Listen, verse 15 continues. Then the kings of the earth, the princes and generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, the slave and the free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. (sighs) For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? With this seal, John sees a massive shift. The language is intentionally uh, metaphoric and is intended to communicate that the time has come and that the judgment of God is now loosed. Not just man's own sin upon himself, but now the wrath of Of God, And it is felt by every class, every age, small and great, rich and poor, strong and weak, slave and free. And now men seek to hide themselves from this wrath to the point where they cry out to the mountains and rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the one who sits on the throne, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. For when this seal is loose, the question is this, the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That day is coming. John sees it. He wants his audience to know that that day is coming. And as such, he wants all who read the words of this prophecy to know that that day is coming. Evan Roberts, a great Welsh revivalist from the last century, said this. He said that if, if you are determined to refuse Christ, then you should go to the rocks and practice shouting. Because all rejectors of Christ will be shouting for the rocks to hide them. The Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is this message that we must hear today. We may bend to him in mercy. We may bend to his mercy now. Or we will be bent to his wrath later. We have this choice, if we can even call it a choice. The mercy of God, the mercy that Jesus Christ has purchased for Himself, redeemed for God, you. you are your life, your sin, the your, your, your sin, no matter how great, no matter how dark, no matter how deep your sin, Can be completely eradicated from the history books of heaven if you will accept the mercy that is offered to you in Jesus Christ. Mercy. Deep and wide and far and rich. Mercy. Free. All it costs you is everything worthless, all it costs you is everything that will never matter. That's all it'll cost you. Everything unclean, everything unholy, everything temporary, worthless, shiny, no good thing. All it'll cost you is everything worthless. To repent of all of that is worthless. To embrace him who is worthy. Oh man, Shikabak went there. To Accept his mercy. Or receive his wrath. Both of them are real. Both of them are real. There's only those two options. What do we do? How should we, you and I as believers, how do we respond to an awareness of these things? Fortunately, our Lord Jesus has told us Jesus speaking to his disciples in Mark chapter 13. Number one, Jesus told his disciples that these things would happen. Somebody say these things would happen. What things? Did Jesus, did, is John making stuff up? Is John just adding stuff to, I thought Jesus was all about unicorns and daisies and rainbows. Is John adding stuff to the word? No, here's the words of Jesus, inarguably one of the earliest gospels. Here's Mark 13. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars. Why that sounds like that first seal. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. These things must take place. But that is not the end. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places, also famines. Listen, Jesus told us these things would happen. These things, he said, are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then he told us that final judgment would follow that, that that sixth seal is coming. Listen to this. Listen to this, Mark 13, 24. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened like goat hair, whatever. right? The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send forth the angels and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest of heaven." And then Jesus says specifically, this is how we should respond to our knowledge of all of this. Verse 33, and if you want to keep track of something, listen for the word alert. Verse, beginning at verse 33, take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come regardless of how many YouTube videos you're watching. I'm sorry, that is a, just a footnote in the original. <laughs> Modern translators don't acknowledge its presence. You're welcome. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning each one to his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. alert. Therefore, be on the... For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or midnight or the rooster crows or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. Verse 37, take a deep breath, hear this. Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to all. Raise your hand or nod your head if you're all. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. If I could paraphrase that, I would say live alert. With a view of eternity. Because Jesus Christ has died and risen, He has received the authority to set the timer on redemptive history. The clock is ticking and judgment is real and eternity is trying to get our attention. We should, as Revelation says then, live Like the time is near. We live like it matters. Now, friends, because of all of this, we know that evil in and because of mankind will continue upon the earth. But we also know that we must never be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This passage in Revelation and those that will follow it, they, they, it, In some ways, I wish they weren't there, but it does help me. It helps us to see that this stuff is part of the rise of man's rebellion. And I also know this, know this for sure, it isn't going to last forever. It will be curbed. It will only be allowed to go so far. And in the meanwhile, we cling to hope. We cling to optimism. You and I stay steady and patient in the face of difficult times. And we take every, every advantage to increase in peaceful and prosperous times. And no matter what, we keep on living, we keep on praying for God's righteousness. Because of the lamb, we will absolutely overcome. So we stay on the alert. And we cannot we cannot help but Respond to this passage also by taking inventory. We must take inventory of our awareness that everyone is going to have to stand before Jesus. It must affect how we see ourselves, our circumstances, and the people around us. In a few weeks or a month or so, we're going to have a a special Teen Challenge uh, evening service here. The guys from the Portland Teen Challenge campus are coming, and the director's coming. We're going to partner with North Lake. It's going to be a big party. But I was listening to my friend Zori, who was a former student, who is now the director of the Teen Challenge campus. And as he was talking and telling his story, I, I checked out emotionally. It was too much for me because it made me think of what we're talking about right now. At one time, Zori said he was sitting in his car getting ready to sleep for the night because he lived in his car. He said, I was a homeless heroin addict. And and I thought to myself, if I would have walked by Zori in his car as a homeless heroin addict, I probably would have had a whole set of assumed perspectives. I probably, I probably would have shaken my head, dismissed, frustrated, might have said something, I hope I would have said something like, Lord, help him or help us. But when I looked at Zori across the table from me and I see this man of God, full of the Holy Spirit, adores his wife and his adopted daughter, I think this if we could just have a view of eternity if we could just see people as they could be because of the lamb if my heart could be moved influenced by eternity to be so resilient with hope such we would be such unreasonably irrationally hope-filled people intoxicated by an eternal reality that forbids us to succumb to the gravity of this world. Jesus, help us to live for eternity. And secondly, this. I know a great deal of you in the room today, so I'm not a visiting evangelist, so I don't have to pretend or but I would ask us just to bow our heads across this room right now. It is my obligation as a communicator, as a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially in response to this today, it is my obligation to remind you, everyone listening to me now in this room and on the cameras, frankly, we're aware are people, we joke about it, but across the nation, around the world, How will you respond to the Lamb of God? Today, have you chosen mercy? Or are you still choosing His wrath? I urge you today, choose the mercy of God. It's not about stringing together a formula of right words. But the Bible just teaches us that all we need to do, all we need to do is repent of our sin. I mean, literally, leave behind everything worthless, everything offensive to God. And you know what? You even know in your heart of hearts right now things you need to leave behind. You know you do and receive, believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And it's as simple as this. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Rescue me and fill me with your spirit. I'm a candidate for the mercy of God right now. Lord, I pray for everyone who can hear my voice. Lord, it begins with this first acknowledgement between you and them. They cry out, they call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And now, Lord, I pray also for those that you are placing upon our hearts, Lord, that we would see people around us in the light, in the brilliant light serious, hope-filled light of eternity. Lord, capture us, I pray in Jesus' name. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Can we stand together? Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. came today, you're far from God, and you need to come home, or you need to make some things right, we have those who want to pray with you and for you. I have prayer workers, with lanyard-wearing prayer workers who want to pray with you today, or if you just want to respond, take some time just to respond to the majesty of Jesus, we want to open up the front of this room to you. This area here will be dedicated to prayer. Those who just want to pray or receive prayer, this is open for you. The rest of you, I've kept you a little bit too long and I need to let you go. I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and give you peace. May you have a wonderful day. and May you continue to live with the view of eternity. God bless you. Oh, come to the altar, the